0: Welcome to Season 2 of The Young Associates Perspective, a podcast about all things related to business, life, and the community. My name is Joshua Zapprazen, and I'm the Vice Chair of The Young Associates and host of this podcast series. To kick off Season 2, I'm excited to share with you a conversation with Ash Moda, the President and CEO of Mondetta Clothing. In 1986, Ash took the first step in realizing his dreams by establishing Dimensions 100 with his friends, making corporate-branded apparel that later became the parent company of Mondetta Clothing. Originally, the Mondetta brand was created and sold at Grand Beach, and over the past 35 years, Ash has been able to expand Mondetta, evolving from a niche clothing startup to an international manufacturing and apparel company with a wide range of diverse platforms and partnerships. Ash's steadfast creative vision and natural inclination to delineate, cultivate, and articulate the organization's approach to design has been key to the company's sustained growth and longevity. Ash continues to innovate and take strategic risks based on personal insight and industry forecasts to foster growth through both challenging and prosperous times. In this episode, Ash shares his entrepreneurial story of how Mondetta started, how he has built a sustainable and solution-driven business, his creative and futuristic approach to design, and why he believes that Winnipeg is one of the best places to build a global business. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation and learning more from Ash Moda. Ash, welcome to the Young Associates Perspective. Really excited to have you on the episode and to share a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and and the building of Mundetta. so thank you for being here. No problem, and excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, you have such a cool story and I think such a cool and inspirational Winnipeg success story too. So really excited to dive into that and, and learn more about your experience and your journey. But uh, before we get into that, would love to talk a little bit about the associates first and, sure. and kind of uh, what drew you to being an associate in the first place and, and when you joined.
1: Well, you know, I uh, I came, my brother was an associate for uh, about 10 years prior to me because he went to the, uh, he went to the Asper school and got his MBA. And I, joined as an associate back in 2010. Um, because, uh, believe it or not, uh, I, I helped bring in uh, um, Jim Senegal, the the founder and CEO of Costco for the idea dinner. And As a result cool. of that, they made me become an associate. I just thought I was a, a schmuck and I wasn't really, <laughs> didn't need to be a part of the associates. But I think it was a fantastic opportunity. But it's it's been great. And you meet, uh, again, that's the beauty of, of Manitoba where you get to meet so many great business leaders and we're so intertwined that this is probably the only province in and probably one of the only places probably in the world where you can sit down with the premier or you can sit down with uh someone like Mark Chipman for lunch and and you get those opportunities you never get those opportunities in Ontario or Quebec or anywhere like that so that's why I joined the associates.
0: Love it. I think you're you're totally right. That piece of community and people is one of the one of the coolest things that make Winnipeg such an awesome place to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. The organization of the associates and YA is uh, totally. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Ash, you are the president and CEO of Mondetta. You were born in Uganda, moved to Canada as a young boy in 1986. You kind of took your first step on being an entrepreneur, establishing Dimensions 100 and kind of uh working your way up to building mondetta to what it is today and and within all of your experience you've been engaged in several community and nonprofit initiatives so super excited to to dive into a little bit more about that with you but let's kind of start from those those earlier days and uh, you're a young professional starting to build this clothing brand how did it how did it start for you how did dimensions 100 start what's what's kind of the early days of that
1: you know i think it's it's funny we just started the conversation earlier before the mic was on about suitors and working for for suitors. My mom used to uh, be the general manager of suitors uh, 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 studios, which is the uh, photography franchises. They had like 300 stores across Canada and the US. And and I used to work for my mom during Christmas times and summers. And so did my brother and uh, all our friends. We used to stuff envelopes and be in the dark room working on uh, film. I mean, um, all the films and all that and all the crazy things in the fr- framing rooms and, and crazy, wild things like that. And and so what ha- happened was at one point, my mom was really tough to work for. My mom treated us the same way at home as she did at work. And one of the things was you just you did not get away with anything. So she just she would put us in the in the warehouses in the on Main Street and say, clean up the entire warehouse. Like it was just awful. At one point, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And I said, OK, enough's enough. And that was the final summer and i said to my mom i quit i'm out of here i can't do
0: this anymore you quit on your mom yeah
1: and so i said we're gonna we're gonna i'm gonna start my own business and she said go fill your boots and do whatever you want but if you're not gonna work hard you're not working for me so that's what we ended up doing so i ended up basically starting dimensions 100 and the idea was to sell business cards and things of that nature to uh people in winnipeg and wherever i could and so that's how we started and we got our first start with selling uh t-shirts to the uniter which was the, uh, United, uh, the University of Winnipeg newspaper. And so I thought to myself, we're selling a $5 t-shirt to these guys, and they're selling for $20. dollars i got to get into the clothing <laughs> business. And lo and behold, in 1986, and you guys, you weren't even born, but uh, we uh, came up with the name Mondetta during the 1986 snowstorm on November the oh. 6th. November the 5th and and that's how Mondetta started and we came up with the name Mondetta and Mondetta means small world, mon means the world in French, et is the suffix for small in Latin and we thought we just saw the name and we're like this is a cool name we got it so we started that and then that that year in two, 1987 we started selling product at Grand Beach and that's how we got our start. We started uh, we got a small little uh, uh, boardwalk uh, a little cart on the boardwalk and we made some beach champs. My cousin and I in nineteen eighty four 86 had gone to believe it or not again i was 16 at the time and i went to jamaica with my cousin who was 18 i don't know how my parents (laughs) let us go to jamaica but we went to jamaica and we spent two weeks in in, uh in negril and and we there was this little old lady making these super cool beach jams and i thought wow those are really cool why don't we take those beach jams and bring them back to to grand beach and that's what we did we bought a couple of these beach jams and we made them in in a factory here locally and they started selling it on the on the beaches of in or at Grand Beach in 1987
0: that's awesome. Super yeah. cool story. I love how it's, uh, it was a whole family affair, too. Cousins involved. Your brother's involved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, any, any reason why Dimensions 100? Any meaning behind that name?
1: Yeah, it was corny, but uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to start a business with 100 dimensions. We're going to do shipbuilding. We're going to do real estate. We're going to do oil and gas. That was kind of the whole concept around
0: <laughs> Dimensions 100. Well, there was only one dimension. That was clothing. So. <laughs> That's awesome what would you say kind of sparked your, your interest in being an entrepreneur? Was it because you, you found out you didn't want to have to work for anyone else, like through your experience at, at Souter, or was there something else that sparked you wanting to be an entrepreneur? You know,
1: I think there's, I think,
0: uh, you no, know, for me it's really interesting,
1: but I think that everybody has, there's this whole thing about passion, and you should do what you're passionate about, and I don't believe in that. I don't believe this whole passion. I, I'm passionate about NFL football, but I can't. <laughs> throw a football or if I got onto a field I'd be bulldozed in two seconds like this whole thing about follow your dreams and passion I I would love to sing but I'm a terrible singer I would love to but I think what you do is you figure out something that you're good at and then if you're good at it You become better at it, and as you work harder at it, you become better at it. Then you become, then it becomes your passion because you become so good at it that finally, then you can sit around and say, "Well, it's something I'm passionate about." But I don't think sitting there and saying you're passionate about something and I want to go and do it without really understanding what you're good. I think what you have to do is find out what you're good at. And I think one of the things I was good at was selling things and. And being able, so my my brothers, when they would have something at school and they'd have to sell something, they'd give it to me and say, hey, go to the neighborhood and sell all these. And I'd go around selling these pen sets and stuff. <laughs> so I think that's where I, I was kind of, this is, my, this is the thing that I, I was good at doing.
0: And I wasn't good at certain other things. So that's how I got into, cool. into business. Cool. I love that story. That's a cool start. An interesting perspective on passion. I think, uh, yeah, it's so valid. Yeah. It, it really is.
1: Yeah, everybody always talks about passion and passion. and um, What does passion mean? Passion is, you know, I, <laughs> I'm passionate about so many things, but I'm just not good at it.
0: So, so you, you were starting out as a, as a young entrepreneur, and uh, if I'm correct, you started the business while you were in university? Well, I started business when I was at University
1: of Winnipeg Collegiate. I was in grade 11 at the collegiate, and my brother and Raj and them were at at the University of Winnipeg in university. Mm -hmm. And so I started the business in the collegiate and then eight months later, they joined me in the business. And there's a perfect example. My brother wanted to be a surgeon and he kept saying, these are the hands of a surgeon. And he he would have made a terrible doctor, (laughs) but he was really good at numbers. And he was really good at understanding spreadsheets and understanding. And so the, we bought a Mac SE30 and he's like, this is super cool. It's, there's got this thing called the Excel spreadsheet that Mike, And that's how we built. It was really cool. But at that time, I think it was numbers for the Mac. And so we, were, we had the first Mac SE30 and he used to program it and do. So, you know, like he was good at that, but he was you would have been a terrible surgeon. He would have probably killed someone. It was just so bad. <laughs>
0: So, did the business start more? So, if you're both kind of going through university and school, uh, did it start more of a side hustle, or what kind of was the uh, was the thought process at the time when you initially started, just as a side hustle, or did you kind of have this vision at the time of building this international global brand you of know, a holding company?
1: My whole thing was I I I didn't I thought that I, the one thing I, again I was really good at was really build being innovative and doing something that was different and selling something. And I think that continued to build on, okay, I'm not good at these things here. Like my parents, like, I remember my dad saying to us, you are not going to become a doctor or you're not going to become a lawyer or you're not going to become an accountant. You're going to become a what? You're, you're not going into business. Like it was just like, we just lost everything in Africa. We're coming here and you want to do what? And they were just kind of looking at us like, you're absolutely crazy. You're, you're not, this is what you're going to do. And I would have never, I would have made a terrible accountant. I would have made a terrible doctor and I would have made a terrible um, a lawyer. So I, it was one of those things where we had to kind of really do it and do it right. And so what, what every week? At nighttime, I would come home and I'd work on the business in the evenings. In the day, that's all I would do. I would just figure out what I wanted to do in the business, and that's where it all started. And it kind of became something. And it kind of moved into one thing to the next, and we started getting these success points. And as we started moving into these success points, that's when my parents went, "Wow, these guys are really good at this," and they really supported us then, and they did the right things. And at that time, it's not like today where credit is easy and you can become an entrepreneur. You can become the entrep- an entrepreneur. You're sitting at your home on a on a table or or on your couch programming something or becoming a youtube sensation or it didn't work that way in the 80s you had to actually sit down with a bank and work on credit facilities and you'd go to a bank and say i need a bank line they go what you're not getting a bank line you're over trading you don't even know here's the debt to covenants here's what you need and we're like what are you talking about (laughs) well the one way you can do it is get your parents to co-sign a loan and right and that those are the ways you did it at that time. It was it was banking was pretty pretty straightforward. It wasn't the way it is today. Like you can there's so many opportunities for private equity and all that. That didn't exist in those days. So that's how we did it. And my parents believed in
0: us and they said, you know what? Let's cool. let's co sign this. Let's put our house down and that's what they did. Wow. So yeah, cool. it was pretty crazy. Cool. So you started to see all these little success points and at what point was it for you that you realized, wow, this this could be big one day or this is this is pretty cool. Well, you know what happened? It was really
1: interesting. But we went to. I went to uh, the year in
0: 1987
1: when we went to the to the beach and we started selling these t uh, these beach jams and everything on the beach. At the beginning, we were just sitting around waiting for people to buy things, and no one was buying anything. We're sitting around going, "Okay, what is going on here? This is just really difficult." And then, uh, lo and behold something kind of triggered and we said, you know what, we gotta do something different here because we can't just sit here and wait for someone to show up. So a friend of ours, and this is going, again, you're too young to really know this, but there was a store called California Days at that time and it was a uh, super cool skateboard shop and was a friend of ours named Kelly Rose and uh, rest in peace, he just passed away last year, but he was a really neat guy and he, was, he had this store and he'd say to us, he, we'd sell our product to him and he'd say, let me do this, let me bring my half pipe to the beach and we'll do something really cool. I have all the skateboarders come in and we'll, we'll have them all dressed up in Mondetta. And we said, yeah, let's do it. So he, and this is the same time Chip and Pepper was big and they were doing their Chip and Pepper wet wear, And it was all this, it was all the rage and we were just starting off. And so that weekend at the beach, we were sitting there and I remember uh, we were sitting with our, with our uh, t- beach jams and everything. And we made these 10% off cards and we had this skateboard pipe and, these kids going up and down. And at the same time, the Crash Test Dummies, if you remember the band, the Crash Test, well, you were again too young, but they became the, the Superman song and they were huge. And they were right next to us and no one was paying attention to them. And they were literally, Paying attention to these yokels on the skateboard ramp, I and they were so bad, they were falling off and everything. And we went around handing on these ten percent off, card, and the business just took off. We that weekend we did like fifteen thousand bucks in sales from zero. Like we were doing five hundred, six hundred. We did fifteen thousand, and then every weekend after that, the business just. So that year we did almost two hundred thousand dollars at the beach, wow. and we thought, wow, this is really cool. We can do this. We got a we got a small business loan. We paid that off, and we're like this. And that same summer, I was driving down the street and I saw this Volkswagen Jetta with a, a German license plate. And I thought, wow, that's super cool. We should do a flag sweatshirt with the flag and Mondetta on the top and the call letters on the back, something like the Olympics. And when we built that shirt, it was just that simple idea. When we went to a manufacturer here, uh, John Friends at All Canadian M, he built us a few. He built us Canada, USA, Germany, Italy. And he phoned me up and he said, you got to get over here right away. And I said, why? He goes, I think you're onto something really big. And he goes, I've been in this business now for 25, 30 years, and I've never seen anything like this. I think this is going to be revolutionary. And we went more like, wow, this is super cool. And we took these items, we made 600 sweatshirts, and we sent them out to different stores. And uh, and they just took off. And that's wow. when we really started. Get, we, got our, we got our first basically foray into the fashion business. But what was wild during that whole time was the the building that experience was difficult because at the, right now you have social media and you can do things on data and social media and digital and all these, you didn't do that at that time. Everything was done through, you did everything through word of mouth, through literally sending out flyers, buying and you couldn't buy TV ads because they were too expensive at that time. You couldn't buy an ad in a, in a magazine. It was too expensive at that time. So what we did was we were like, okay, we got to get into these 50 stores across Canada. This store in BC, this store in Alberta, this, what are we going to do? So we, we made a list of the top 50 stores. We got all their phone numbers and we gave it to all our buddies and said, okay, every day call five of these and ask them if they carry Montana that's awesome and, and they kept calling saying do you carry mondetta you carry Mondetta?" and we did that for 45 50 days and then at the last day we'd phone and go hi we're calling from mondetta i was wondering if we could come and see and they were like you know what everybody's been asking about your product <laughs> that is and, amazing and that's how we started and that's how we got into some of these stores but the, the crazy thing was once you're in you got to sell right but we knew if we we had something that was going to be pretty neat and different and once it, it hit the stores like literally we we're getting st- calls like and so that night we all went and partied in our house my house was our was our head office <laughs> and i remember calling uh, uh waking up or we'd gone to the bar the night before and someone called and said hello is this mondetta and i was like yeah oh can i speak to customer service i'm like customer service okay one second for someone wants customer service and my brother was in his room and he go customer service <laughs> and And basically, people were calling, and we were and we basically sold all six hundred shirts in the first week wow and and that at that time, those were forty dollar wholesale eighty dollar retails, yeah, wow. and so that's how we kind of got our start in the apparel space and and then it became, Mondetta became a Canadian sensation. And then we went into the U S and then we were in Japan and we we're in Europe and all over. And that's kind of,
0: that's amazing. yeah. We've got so start. cool. I mean, clearly you had to be as creative as possible, especially in those early days. And I love that story of the list of the yeah. top 50. That's super cool. Um, let's dive into a little bit more about your creative approach though, and your vision towards product design. I know you mentioned the the flag that really inspired a lot of the, that at the beginning, but what really inspires you from a creativity perspective still to this day when you're coming up uh, obviously you have a a bigger team today yeah. too but what really inspires you from a creativity perspective you know, I, I, i'm um i think that's one of the things that
1: i like to do a lot is is i'm very visual in terms of the way i th- everything from from just understanding modern culture to understanding fashion of, uh, to understanding art and and just the way things function from a from an aesthetic perspective and i think delving into a, a, a way and a thinking and a forethought of of aesthetic is really key and paramount in our business. If you think about product from a detail and an aesthetic perspective, I think it's it's one of the key elements of what we do as an organization. And so for me, I, I'm very fortunate that for the last 29 years, this is the first year in 29 years I've been at home more than three weeks at any given time, because right. I've just been traveling the world and seeing everything. And to me, traveling the world has given me a perspective and an eye to things that I would have never been able to see locally, but just gives gives us that function of bringing that back and being able to build that into product design, build that into the aesthetic of everything we do as an organization. It's just not about about product, but about the way you think. And I think if you think a certain way, everything kind of clicks in and you have to have that that philosophy and that ability to continue just believing in that, and and continue to drive at it, and getting, and kind of tinkering with it, and getting it better and better, and I think the aesthetic today and the understanding of product is so much greater today, and not just only from a product perspective, from a compliance perspective, from a, mm-hmm. a sustainability perspective, all the different trigger points that make it, make it important, and I think in in our organization, in any organization and, I, and I, I was telling Kelly this you have to be a futurist in our business you have to be able to tell the future and if you can't tell the future you're not going to get rewarded you get rewarded by understanding what the consumer wants 36 to 48 months from now mm-hmm. you, people always ask the consumer through surveys and ask the, the consumer doesn't know what they want the consumer knows what they want today they don't understand what they need a year from now or two years from now or three years from now they just don't have that perspective because they're it's like perfect example is is Apple and the Mm -hmm. and the Curity keyboard. You know, when when they asked when they asked Steve Jobs about it, he's like, well, that's what people use today. They're comfortable with it today. But this is where the future is going. And no one ever. they thought he's crazy. He's never going to be look at Steve Ballmer laughed at him. He said, How are you going to ever sell something without a curity keyboard? And lo and behold, today, look at where the iPhone is and look where Blackberry is. It's just that I think is really understanding. You have to understand where the future is going. And if you understand that or you, that's, and again, I think that's the other beauty of getting older. You can tell the future a little bit better.
0: <laughs> I love the amount of detail that goes into that process. I, I think that's super cool. And, Uh, You're right. It it takes a, I think, a a special perspective too to to really think that way and uh, to also leverage your experience. But speaking of, you you mentioned all your travel too. Uh, Mondetta really is this global enterprise with this massive supply chain network of offices in Asia, 55 fully compliant partner faculties and or factories in 13 countries. Talk a little bit more about this robust supply chain and for you um, as. CEO and president what 's the hardest part of managing such this uh, such a large supply chain network
1: yeah I, I think one of the key things to our business is really that is is being able to lever different countries of origin as you as you start to understand the product process and the product development and how do you draw, how do you build that product and get it to the consumer at a price with all the compliance you have to start looking at every variable in the in, in the product mix from product design, development, and everything, to duties, the way it actually logistically ships, all of that, and that's why we've been fortunate. And 15 years ago, we were so different. We had one supply chain come, or 20 years ago, from, from Hong Kong, or sorry, from China, and that was very, it, And in fact, in 2008, 95% of our business was done out of China, production. And today, less than 17% of our production is done in China. and we've been able to expand the 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 supply chain and it's really understanding what's needed and building those compliance compliance uh, systems in place and if you build the right systems in place you can actually build a much larger supply chain it's all about process and process management and our teams are fantastic at that from our product development teams to our our teams internally here, and the teams and the boots on the ground in Asia, they really understand that compliance. If you manage that compliance, everything else falls into place. Product development is is here, and that 's just simple once you develop the product it 's really about how do you build it, how do you build it sustainably. How do you make sure that it's got that end-to-end chain of custody? How do you so that that to us? As we started to build that, and as we started to scale it, we scaled it slowly at the beginning. But now we're able, now the processes are so robust that we're able to scale it much quicker and bring in new countries of origin at a lot quicker pace than we did
0: in the past super cool super cool yeah. so not long ago the the world was hit with this global pandemic and so many businesses were forced to be innovative and creative and pivot and uh Monde- you and the team at mondetta recognized this unique opportunity to launch the mondetta frontline program which you've now delivered millions of units of health canada compliant ppe to regional health authorities across canada which i think is super cool and, and to come out of winnipeg to uh, such yeah. another cool winnipeg story and part to this community that you've been able to do what's what type of impact has that had on mondetta and talk a little bit about your experience working on this new line uh during the global pandemic and this pivot and innovative change that you made sure i think one of the key things for us and again like i talk about the whole concept of
1: being a step ahead and really understanding and if you're a step ahead you can you can really see something that's coming and i was telling the teams back in december january There's a global something big coming here. And I remember calling my brother saying this. What's happening in Wuhan right now is going to be significant problem in Canada. And my brother saying, "Ah, you know what, it's hopefully they'll get it under control. I'm like, I don't know. I think this is a different one. And I remember being in Korea on my way to China. On the 19th, 20th of January, just before Chinese New Year, we were going to meet the office and say, "Just take everybody out for dinner for Chinese New Year." And they actually turned us turned us back. And I went, "Oh boy, this is coming to Asia from Asia into the U.S. and Canada." And once it comes, this is going to be a runaway train. And so we started putting together plans at that time to start in early mm-hmm. February. Said, "Let's get a work from home." Uh, let's do what they're doing in Asia so we're working with our offices Nina who runs our our office in Asia what was going on in Asia what are they doing what are the changes what are the significant uh, uh, steps that the Chinese government is taking and if they are taking those significant steps let's emulate that here and we started doing that we started doing work from home concepts we started developing that up front we had that ready by I think the 5th or 6th of February and at the same time. I started working with our asia office saying if we can if this is happening what's happening from a ppe perspective and they said well the factories are just flooded with this ppe and they started sending us some of it and saying if there's anything you need there so we started getting certain things gloves and everything for the office here and started putting all those processes into place if you look at our front office i mean at the front we have that visual screening for temperature and mask wearing those are the things that have been in in asia for right from the beginning so we we just took all those steps and brought them here as quick as we could. At the same time, we said, "Okay, if we this is an opportunity, we should talk to the Canadian government, see if they need our help." And then we talked to the Manitoba government. And they said, "You know what? If you can help us with certain things, these are the things we're looking for." So, having said that, there are so many people building PP. But one of the things that is very important to us is compliance, mm-hmm. social compliance, QA compliance, CTPAC compliance being Health Health Canada compliant. You can't just build something. And there's so many charlatans just building things. They don't know what they're building, who they're getting it from, which factories they're getting it from, the, sh- the compliance aspect of it. So we basically said, OK, we got to become Health Canada compliant, first of all, understand that. And on top of that, figure out what the, the governments need locally and then make sure they match what Health Canada has from a compliance perspective. And that's what we did. And we retooled two factories in Asia with one of our largest sourcing suppliers and in in one of the largest shirt manufacturers in the world. And they built, they basically, within 27 days, we were ready to start building scrubs, building disposable gowns, reusable gowns. And we did that in 27. From the date of order, we had goods literally at dock ready for the Manitoba government to pick up 27 days later. Wow. So yeah, it was pretty neat. And that's, that's impressive. And that's because we just, that, that ability to scale that, Whereas so many and then at the same time you're reading newspaper articles, there's guys who are selling firecrackers and or fireworks and trying to build like just they don't understand the the, the the magnitude of what they're building. And so that's I think what what we're very fortunate in that that ability to scale that supply chain quick and fast allowed us to help the and the, the different jurisdictions. It's just not Manitoba, it's Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, Ottawa, like all the different regions
0: across Canada we're helping with PP so like talk about such an amazing story of being innovative and seeing the future and predicting what's going to happen yeah. I, I think that's super cool and, and what a great story uh, in, in regards to compliance I know that you're very committed to building a, a sustainable and solution driven business. Both ethically, socially, and environmentally, what what has been your biggest focus and Mondetta's biggest focus on achieving um, sustainability from ethically, socially, and the environmental perspective? Yeah, so
1: there's two aspects for us. Is uh, number one is we are working towards becoming B, uh, B Corp certified, and becoming B Corp certified, there's five different pillars from from governance to uh, to customers to um, supply chain to st- sustainability there's the whole there's there's different things that you have to look at and it's just not people think it's just about buying a recycle fabric and putting a garment it's, it's not about that and even as you become sustainable and you close the loop on sustainability it's not about just buying a recycle fabric it's about really the chain of custody how you manage from substrate all the way to product dip, uh, production all the way to shipping and that's where we as an organization are. We started this back almost a year and a half, two years ago, and and uh, and it's and it's been a huge undertaking. It's uh it's a lot of work from a from a compliance perspective. Cause you have to get every factory compliant. You have to get the mills compliant. Everyone in ha- the supply chain has to start becoming compliant. And so as you do that, you have to get everybody on side, and you have to make them understand that this is a good thing for you long term, not a bad thing. It it there's going to be There's going to be upfront costs. There's going to be investment from a big picture at the beginning, but long-term it will pay, pay for you in a big way. And that's exactly what it's done. I think these, these suppliers have listened. And as a result of that, they've seen, you know, our businesses, uh, you can, our team can tell you like our business has grown almost double from this year into 2021, it'll double. And it, yeah, it's just, it's, and we grew 40% during the pandemic. Wow, It just, it's, I think if you do the right things, it, it pays off. And I think that's the, the thing about being a business that I think if you always do the right thing, it will always pay,
0: pay off and pay back in, in those investments long-term. Totally. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely doing the right things yeah. for the right reasons too. Yeah. Um, how close do you, do you believe you are to receiving the B Corp certification?
1: We're, I think a week away. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. Uh, we're that's just exciting.
1: We're at, we've got one more last thing to do. And then I, I, I'm hoping that,
0: that, uh, will get us that B Corp certification. That's so. awesome. Yeah. So one of my favorite uh, pieces to your story is the fact that you've sold Majority Control, your company twice, and yeah. on both occasions you've, you've bought it back, which yeah. I think spe- is super cool. And uh, I, speak, I speak so much to your passion and commitment and your your focus and thoughts on Mondetta and the future and the growth opportunities. Tell me a little bit about yeah. that process, about maybe why originally sure. you decided to sell and, and then your process or thought process of also purchasing back sure. Control. So
1: the first Control was more about survival and the time was when we were uh, it was 1997 and we had gone through a phenomenal ride in the business and and become the hottest thing and then the whole concept of the big bolded shirts and everything kind of slipped away and and it it, the trend had dropped as a result of that we had our business had significantly changed quickly and at that time crocus investment fund locally crocus was a labor-sponsored investment fund in manitoba as you again you're too young (laughs) but they they basically helped and we were part of crocus for from 1997 until 2006 until we bought them back and as you know crocus is still around trying to sell off its canadians portfolio and some they were owners in the manitoba moose and at the true north center at one point they owned part of wellington west they own all these different companies and and it's unfortunate because that when well when crocus left manitoba and or, or basically had gone broke or it um it left a massive capital hole in in manitoba for small companies to to gain capital access to capital it was a really a sad thing and it's it's unfortunate and really now the manitoba government along with Ma- uh, manitoba business uh, council is trying to b- build a new type of fund for these smaller businesses because capital is required you can't just keep going to the banks you need risk capital and so we were part of crocus and and what happened was our again we were in a bad state we changed the business we did all the right things we retooled the business we set up an office in asia and the business took off and then crocus went bankrupt and we we bought back our shares from crocus and and it was the best thing that ever happened and then 2006 to 2014 we just continued to drive the business up again and what happened was we thought to ourselves we've gotten this far as a business we're super profitable we're doing all the right things let's try to gear up for the next lever of business and and try to get to that next stage of our business um, and let's bring in some private equity they may, and let's bring in u.s private equity because they're smarter they understand all these things you think are going to happen and that's what we ended up doing thinking they were smarter than us and thinking that they knew the answers and they didn't know the answers. We had the answers, but we were just we just felt as Manitobans, as a as, as a company, maybe people have different ideas that are better than ours, and that's how you always second guess yourself. And that's what we did. We did a an exit of the business, and yeah, okay, we took some money off the table as 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 owners. But having said that, if we had just kept the business ourselves, we could have taken the same money out anyway. But but what we did was, we it, it just didn't work out. And we had just different, we had more of a long-term approach to our business. We wanted to do the right things. We're a, we're a Manitoba company with Manitoba employees and people. And like I keep saying, the one thing I, I really, I had some great advice when I was, is we're Manitobans, we're not cool. We just work hard, right? <laughs> we that. don't do, we're not from New York or LA and have to have these cool things happen. We got good people, you know, people like Kelly in here in this office, like just people who work hard and do the right things. And if you do the right things, the business will always, always continue to grow. And that's what happened was, we just we just decided that it was the right time and we needed to buy back the business. So we we had gone through five years with them where we'd made a lot of missteps, and then once we bought the business back, we're on the right track now. We're doing all the things that we need to. We've got the proper vehicles to continue to build this business to continue building it as a Manitoba business that will continue to grow in this in this province and continue to hire Manitobans and that's where we thought we were just concerned that if private equity tried to sell it off and it it went elsewhere it wouldn't be the right thing for this organization so we bought it back. Awesome and I'm I'm sure you're you're happy about that decision right now. I used to spend 50 to 75 percent of my time doing reports and and board meetings and board calls and monthly calls and weekly calls and and now i can spend my time doing the right things is running a business that's awesome. and that's what we've seen as soon as we've changed that
0: our business is completely flipped around and that's f- awesome. crushing it so. cool. good to hear that's awesome so kind of taking that future lens what do you believe business in general is going to look like after the pandemic or within the next few years you know i
1: um i'm a i do think that as you start to see i think you're going to have a twofold i think at the at the end of the pandemic you're going to have people rushing to bars and restaurants and and uh, concerts and hockey games and everything as quick and people are going to be hugging each other and doing whatever they can to be as close and fast and together as much as possible that's what we saw in asia like as soon as Things switched in Asia they were having rock concerts with 60 70 thousand people they were in nightclubs with five ten thousand people everything went it switched right away and that's because people people need that they need that ability to 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 meet each other and be social but I think from a business perspective I think the paradigm shift has already happened I think you're going to see there you know before the pandemic 11 percent of commerce was done online after the pandemic I think it's now it's 17 percent and they're saying by 20, 2035, you're supposed to have 40%. And now they're saying that by 2025, 40% of, the, of business will be done through online. And, and I think that, and I agree with that. I think that this has really changed the way we think, the way we we eat, the way we, we do business, the way we actually go on trips. I think it, it, this has completely switched that. I think business travel will, will change forever. I think obviously pleasure travel won't. I, I think people will want to continue to travel and go and see places and things like that. But I think business travel and places like that, will, I mean, things like that will change. You'll have way more Zoom meetings. I think you'll people are more comfortable with that. And I think people are more comfortable with buying online. People are more comfortable buying a car online. Right. I think this is where, and and I think this is just proven to all of us that the the younger generation has been right all along that this is is moving now and has to move a lot quicker than it, it did. And so you, like I think the stores, these department stores are a thing in the past. I, it just, you know, I think my wake up call was I went to one of our, uh, our online customers about three years ago to meet with them. And I said, so I'm meeting your technology guy, I'm meeting your CFO, where's your GMM? Which, in our business, a GMM is general merchandise manager. And he looked at me, he goes, what's that? And I remember going, oh, my God, this is a change in the business. Oh, like no. they don't he doesn't even know what a general merchandise manager is like. And, but that's where I think this new new crop, we're going to see this continue to change. And if we as an organization don't change with that, we'll
0: fall apart. And that's what we've had to do. We've had to really think differently. One thing that we say quite often at the Stu Clark Center for, for Entrepreneurship is that the world needs entrepreneurs now more than ever. And I think you can make the argument that the world always needs entrepreneurs. But what's your take on Winnipeg as a place to start a business and this community of support for being an entrepreneur here in Manitoba?
1: Well, I think Winnipeg now more than ever is the probably one of the most opportune places to to run a business for, number one, the, the how cheap it is, how easy it is, now we can communicate through iPads and through globally across the world quick and fast, like 30 years to 35 years ago. And we didn't, we, we I couldn't do that. I couldn't, if I want to see a fashion piece, I'd have to go to New York or I have to go to Italy. Now I can just go online look at the whole product collection and order it online and have it here in a day and a half. It's just things have changed so fast that being in Manitoba, people don't realize the advantages we have. our, our wage structure is probably sixty percent less in Manitoba than it would be in California and New York because it's just you 're paying and I, and I would put most of our talent against anyone in 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 new york or 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 l a and I think we would we would beat them hands down and it 's just because we have an ability here to do things at a much different way of of thinking it through rather than being in one of those large centers so I think being in Winnipeg is. Is, is better than ever now than it was 20, 30 years ago. And I think for young entrepreneurs, this is a fantastic place to start a business because you've got everything, access to the entire world in front of
0: you a, on a screen. Totally, love that. What are you most proud about to have achieved so far in your entrepreneurial career?
1: I you know, I, I just, I, for me, I think it's really being able to build something and seeing it on the backs of so many people and knowing that we have built it right we've built it socially ethically environmentally right and i think that if you do the right things i think it again it it's part of the entire business and the synergy of the business and it and it feeds off the staff and the staff understand that we're doing things for the right reasons and i think that that's what i'm most proud of i think and just I think it's really fun working with people who have the same thought and, and understanding, and, and you can kind of say, you know, I'm looking for a bread box, it's about this big, this is the color, and they can build it for you. And so
0: that's, that's been, I think, for me, a lot of fun. So kind of to round out our, our discussion today, Ash, what, what's your best piece of advice that you have for young professionals or young entrepreneurs or, or those wanting to be an entrepreneur?
1: You know, I think it's, it's being patient and, and persevering like i said nothing is easy and nothing is comes i think that's what happens to so many young people they and especially nowadays their parents have brought them up and and really encased them in a in a world where they 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 get a medal for everything the days when i was growing up my parents would care less they would just literally just throw us out and if you didn't come home with the right mark, is they look at me like, are you crazy? Like we just, just just the way it was. It just, life was different at that time. And they didn't feel sorry for it. If, my, if I got a bad mark, they wouldn't phone my parent teacher and say, why did my kid get a bad mark? They would just literally tell you next time you better get a good mark, right? So I think one of the things is, is, is not giving up. What happens is if you're good at something, it takes time and you get better at it. And as you get better at it, you become more proficient at it. And as you get more proficient at it, you just you start to see things a lot more clearer and you're able to make the right decisions with it. But so many people start a business or start something and just give up. Mm-hmm. And they just go, I can't do this and it's not working. And and I think that's the thing. It's not easy. It Nothing comes easy. Like life is not... We've had... I remember 1997, literally I was eating macaroni and cheese. Like we were almost broken going what are we going to do all our friends were doctors and lawyers and living life and we had a phenomenal run and then almost lost it all but we persevered we stayed at it we continued to shift and focus and said these are the hard decisions we're going to make we're going to change this we're going to change that we're going to add this we're going to remove that we're going to get rid of the mondetta world cafe we're going to do all these things that we had to do the thinking these are the wrong decisions but they were the right decisions and and i, I think that is what I would give to any entrepreneur or any young person starting out who wants to be in business, who wants to do even forget about business, even wanting to be in a job. It's not going to be easy, and it's not something that you. The job is going to take you 10, 15 years to get right. And so many people job move from job to job to job to job because they're always looking for the promised land. There's no promised land. It's nothing's easy. It's you're going to go over the next job and not find anything that's. It just, as you stay on a job more and more, you get better at it. And as you get better at it, you keep moving up. And that's Mm. just the way business is. And that's just the way life is
0: totally No, that that's a a great note to kind of end our discussion i I feel like we could talk for hours you have so much great wisdom and (laughs) advice and you've had such a cool journey and i'm sure still lots of lots more awesome things to come but prime example of a great winnipeg and inspirational success story so congrats on all that you've done and uh we didn't even really touch about it but all of your community involvement too i know you're a big uh involved in the community with sitting on many boards and uh, the mondetta charity as well so awesome awesome to hear and, and uh really cool um, I've tended to end each of my discussions and episodes with a quick rapid fire section sure. with all my guests. So I'll throw a, a quick couple quick questions at yeah. you and kind of first thing that comes to sure. mind we'll we'll go from there. What do you love most about your job? Being able to create things. Name one other company or business person that inspires you and why? Um for me it would be Giorgio Armani. Nice. I think in, in my
1: in our space, I just think the ability to design and develop and just create incredible product is is what i think is magical awesome favorite thing to do when not working you know uh, well for personally i think it's just trying to buy art that's what i'm into now and i find it interesting and fun
0: do you have a favorite artist pardon me do you have a favorite artist? Warhol. yeah best advice you've ever received
1: the best best advice i've ever received would be that business is really simple. You make a dollar, you spend ninety cents, and you put ten cents away. And if you run your business that way, you'll always have a business. And it's and it's so true. I think
0: that that's just so simple it's such a simple thing, but that's simple really, but true. Yeah. I love it. What would you say are the top three skills needed to be a successful entrepreneur? Um, I think the the uh, key would be uh,
1: perseverance, the ability to continue to persevere and and, and run through different obstacles and 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 things of that nature i think the ability to to read the market and read the future and see where the market's going and be able to continue to move towards that it's not going to be a straight line but the ability to 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 move as required for that i think those two are the the key,
0: key things if you were to write a book about yourself how would you name it craziest 35 years ever <laughs> <laughs> Love it. but a lot of fun awesome and i wouldn't change it for the world i think it's been it's been fun and it's i've met so many great people along the way so cool last one ash you can have a dinner party with any four people in the world who's on your invite list you know what i think it would be again armani i think from a from a product perspective
1: i think from a supply chain product and um, product development and also just large scale would be uh, would be uh Tim Cook, I think Barack Obama, from just a perspective of insight. And then I think the last one would probably be Chairman, Chairman Xi Jinping of, of China. Just to understand where the largest country in the world and where is their headspace going into the next 20, 30 years. Like They are gonna be the economic global superpower. And so what are they thinking and where, where is their headspace as they move
0: forward? I think that would be probably the four. Awesome. Well, Ash, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciated it. Uh, Congratulations on all the success you've had and and thank you for being such an inspiration to so many and a great uh, Winnipeg business success story. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ash. I'd like to say a final thanks to Ash for joining us on this episode of the Young Associates Perspective and for sharing his story, advice and insights from his experience building Mondetta. I hope everyone who listened was able to take value and learn from this episode. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to sharing the next episode of the Young Associates Perspective with you soon. Take care.